Hi, everyone. We wanted to come on here and make just a quick statement before starting today's episode as we recorded it prior to the current tragedy that has happened today, um, May 24th, 2022 in Texas. Today was just a devastating day for this country. Um, Last I saw, it was up to 18 now. 18 elementary school children and one teacher were shot after a man who is now deceased opened fire at an elementary school. We offer our condolences to the families of the victims and just to anyone who's ever been touched by tragedies like this that keep happening in our everyday lives. No one should be afraid to send their children to school or to go to the grocery store or to places of worship, the movies, anywhere. No one should have to live with this fear of this happening. And we hope that this senseless act inspires positive change in our country so that we never have to watch another innocent person suffer like this. And I know that in times like this, it's hard to find the words to say, and it's really easy to just feel helpless and like there's literally nothing that you can do because we've seen it happen so many times and it doesn't feel like anything's changing. We've provided links in the episode description and um, just on our Instagram story. If you guys wanted to check out some organizations that do want to work to make positive changes. Uh, But thank you for listening to our episode and just please take care of yourselves and those around you. Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today, we'd be sipping on another very sweet, angelic coffee because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we have the Happy Bean Project. It is so cute. This blend is called Happiness in a Cup, which, say no more, adorable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And It's just right up our alley, you know, hazelnut, chocolate, full-bodied, and just so freaking good. I can't stand it. I love the name and love the Happy Bean Project. Um, They are a nonprofit veteran-ran coffee shop, which is awesome. And all profits and donations fund their volunteer efforts. So they send their team of volunteers to go volunteer at homeless shelters, mental health facilities, and just anywhere that they can provide some help and really great, but they provide a lot of resources for people suffering with any mental health issues such as bipolar disorder, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and more. They say that their goal is to save lives, to help prevent suicides, and to get people talking about mental health. So really great organization, great company, and great coffee. If you guys are interested, head over to thehappybeanproject.com. Hell yeah. Yeah, it is really good. And of course, I am drinking it with a dairy-free creamer. I just found um, brown sugar oat milk creamer. Did you see I sent you at Sprouts Rip? Because I don't have a Sprouts anymore, but my Florida friends <laughs> they have the dairy-free mint chocolate chip creamer. I want to try it so bad. I know. And I'm driving to Max's grandparents tonight, and there's a Sprouts right next to their house. So I might have to just stop in and get that. Please do, and let me know how it is. 
I will. I will. Well, guys, thank you so much. We are almost at 18,000 downloads, which is wild. So wild. Thank you guys for supporting us. And, you know, we really hope you guys, just because it is Mental Health Awareness Month this month, I can't believe May is almost over, but we hope that you're all taking care of yourselves, taking some time for yourselves. We've got a long weekend coming up, hopefully, for everyone. So just take care of yourselves, people. <laughs> and Erica's mac and cheese is done. <laughs> My mac and cheese is ready. <laughs> Please hold. (laughs) Oh my God, that was good. So today, I think I prefaced this in our last episode, but today I have a recommended case. This one comes from my good friend, Carson. She is one of my best friends. And we were just, you know, having a nice family dinner and she somehow (laughs) brought this person up to me. And then we, you know, started talking about good old serial killers and murder at dinner. You know, great table topic if anybody's looking for something to talk to their friends about during a meal. But yeah, so today we are going to be talking about Willie Picton. Do you know who Willie Picton is? I do. He's a piece of shit. (laughs) Very good. Yes. That is actually his title. It's just Willie Picton, piece of shit. Um, But this is actually a Canadian case. So shout out to all of my Canadian peeps. I love you. And Canada is my favorite place ever. So sorry that I had to do this case, but I do love Canada. Well, without further ado, why don't we just get all up in Willie Picton's childhood? Let's do it. Robert William Picton, also known as Willie, was born on October 26, 1949, in Port, oh gosh, Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. One second. It sounds like they're mowing your office. They are mowing my office currently, yes. His family had been in the business of pig farming for about three generations, So that was the only thing that Willie ever knew. Him and his brother David, along with their sister Linda, were born and raised just being pig farmers. The family lived in a very primitive, just like really gross, filthy condition. Their house was gross. They were gross. Um, Their mother, Louise, let the pigs and any other animals that were on their farm just come in and out of the house and just never cleaned up after them. I can only imagine. Appetizing. You can only imagine how that house must have smelled and how those children must have smelled. So, yeah. The Picton kids were made to work on the farm from sunup to sundown. And they would go to school probably like two to three times a week just because they had so many chores to do on the farm that it just wasn't feasible for them to go as much as the other kids. So school was not exactly the best place for the children. They were obviously, as we talked about, really gross and they smelled bad. And so, of course, the other kids teased them and bullied them. And it didn't help that Willie was kind of slow. And that made school very frustrating for him. He was being bullied and he wasn't very smart. So he would just skip school and hide under his bed instead (laughs) 
I was going to say, I assume that he didn't like get any help for that. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, when he was 16, he dropped out of school entirely. So, hey, it's not for yeah. everyone. It's not. It's okay. It's okay. After the Pigton's parents died in 1978, Willie and his siblings inherited the pig farm. Uh, they only raised a couple of the pigs and then they sold them to their friends and neighbors. In fact, they sold parts of the land that they inherited too for obviously money because they didn't have much and they didn't really want to continue the family business. So they figured why not? Willie was described by most of his friends as pretty, quote, quiet and simple guy who didn't really have any visible devious habits uh, that would draw much attention. He wasn't known to be much of a drinker or didn't really do any drugs, and he was never known to be violent either. So keep that in mind when you're thinking of Willie Picton. I'm like waiting like, okay, well, what age did this change? Because... (laughs) I don't buy it. (laughs) That's just how people saw Mr. Willie Pickton. According to Medium, after neglecting the original pig farm business, Willie and his siblings actually registered for a nonprofit charity by the name of the Piggy Palace Good Times Society. Uh, They they registered. Sorry, it was just a funny ass name to me. They registered that with the Canadian government in 1996. They claimed to organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, shows, and exhibitions on behalf of service organizations, sports organizations, and other worthy groups. Several members of the police force, along with very prominent leaders and local business owners, uh, even government officials, seem to really enjoy their time at the Piggy Palace. (laughs) I can't take it seriously when I have to say Piggy Palace. It sounds like a cute place. Does it? (laughs) Sounds concerning to me. Like if you didn't know what it was or like who was involved, like. Yeah, I guess. From the outside looking in, Piggy Palace seems like magical. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Magical. (laughs) so what these not-for-profit events eventually ended up being were like rave parties where members of like bands and other party people they would come and they would you know do drugs engage in sex with you know prostitutes or hookers Uh, not what i expected (laughs) when i was picturing piggy palace that's not what i was thinking or is it what we were all somewhat thinking in our heads? I was picturing like <laughs> stuffed animal, little cute little piggies. Piggy no, palace. That's not what we. It's not what we got. The events were actually like really big, and they attracted as many as two thousand people. So, piggy palace was popping <laughs> at one point. Uh, After some complaints about the nature of the activities held under the Piggy Palace, there was some kind of situation on New Year's Eve in 1998 where police had to intervene and they ended up banning any future parties at the pig farm. And then the Pictons were also stripped of the nonprofit status. And (laughs) I mean, saw that coming. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, they were honestly, they were stripped of the nonprofit status because they had a lack of sufficient financial statements. They probably had no financial statements if we're going to be honest, because they were just throwing piggy parties. But they were pocketing money from them. They had to have been. Maybe they were being sketchy. I don't know. Who the heck knows? So large numbers of women started disappearing off the streets of Vancouver in the 1980s. But of course, since again, they were mainly prostitutes, drug addicts, or Aboriginal women who did their business, quote unquote, in downtown Eastside, which is considered Canada's poorest postcode. There was no pressure to solve the crimes at all. They didn't have bodies to start murder cases. So the police just refused to look into any of it for years. That's very disappointing. Very disappointing and on freaking par. Yeah. It wasn't until a nearby Aboriginal group provided a list of missing women to the police and Detective Dave Dixon officially started an investigation in 1998, which if you think about it, if the women started going missing in nineteen in the 1980s, 1998, that's almost 20 years after this. <laughs> like, Yeah, and while it's great that those women did that, it's literally not their job. Like, It should not have taken them literally doing the police's job for them for the police to start doing their job. Literally, 20 years? Are you kidding me? Just because these women were like prostitutes and I don't – I hate when they say like people that like didn't matter or like wouldn't be cared about. Um, But still, 20 years later and you're still not investigating anything? Come on. So that brings us to March 23rd, 1997. In the same city Willie Picton was born in, Port – I'm definitely butchering this. uh, No pun intended – Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't joke, but that I just felt like it needed to be said. Um, there was an elderly couple driving on the road outside of Vancouver, and they spotted a woman who was bloody and wounded and flagging them down for help. And she had handcuffs dangling from one of her wrists, which was explained to be incredibly bloody. And this is giving me very toy box killer vibes, and it is making me want to physically throw up. So, um, yes, literally the exact same scenario. No, I was literally thinking that. So the woman who was bloody on the side of the road, her name was Wendy Lynn Eistetter, and this couple took her to the nearest hospital. Wendy had been stabbed numerous times to the point of being partially disemboweled. Somehow, she was still conscious, even though she literally had been stabbed to the point where she was almost missing limbs. Um, She told the hospital staff, right? I don't know how. When I hear stories like this, I'm like, how how do you have the strength? It makes me think of – or something. There was a case – what am I thinking of? What am I thinking of? Where her arms were missing and she was in a ditch and she like crawled up and stuff. Yeah. Is that the one you're yeah, talking about? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. It's exactly kind of like that. So she told hospital staff and then the police everything that had happened. Wendy had been a sex worker on Vancouver's downtown east side, which again was a very poor postcode. 
the low track was what they called it. So this is when she says this is where she met Willie Picton, even though he was really gross and smelly, like we've talked about over and over again, which seems to be like the only way people really describe him is just like gross and smelly. Um, Wendy agreed to go with him because she knew that he would exchange for drugs and alcohol. So she got in his truck and he drove her to the pig farm. And after they engaged in consensual sex, Wendy asked to use his phone to call her boyfriend. Oh. (laughs) Yep, there it is. Okay. So when she was about to dial his number, he came behind her and locked a pair of handcuffs on her wrist. And she fought back and Willie wasn't able to get the other cuff on her. That's why she had one dangling from her hand. She told police that Willie came to her with a butcher knife. And she said she fought him off, eventually getting the knife away from him and slashing his throat with it. And apparently his wound was so serious that he passed out from blood loss. So she ran to the nearest road, and that was when she flagged down the couple. What Wendy did not know was that Willie Picton was actually at the same exact hospital as her at the exact same time. So they were both there. This is literally toy box vibes. Except for it was the the weird female that was at mm-hmm. the hospital at the same time as the other girl. Yeah. Oh God, I'm freaking out. Why are these – why does this happen? Super similar. Um, right? And that's the case that I told I said I would never tell again. Now here I am basically telling it again. He had somehow recovered enough to drive himself to the hospital after she like ran away. So they were there together. Police ended up questioning Willie and in one of his pockets, they found a handcuff key. And guess what? The key unlocked Wendy's cuff on her wrist. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Didn't think that would happen. That's crazy. Huh. So wild. So he was obviously brought in, but was later released on bail, and the charges were dismissed in January of 1998. So even though he attempted murder of somebody, they didn't press charges. So we finally get a break in the 20-year-long missing women's case when one of the workers at the farm, Bill Hiscox, noted that many of the women that visited the farm eventually went missing and reported his suspicions to the local police. So we have one kind soul, right? What's his name? Billy Hitchcock? (laughs) Bill Hiscox. (laughs) Bill Hiscox. We love him. We love him. In February of 2002, when the police visited the farm with a search warrant, they found multiple belongings to the missing women. One of them was an asthma inhaler that had been prescribed to Serena Abatswe, who was a 29-year-old woman that had gone missing in August of 2001. But the police could only charge Willie and his brother, David Picton, on charges of owning illegal weapons. So while they were later released, police maintained surveillance on the brothers. That's good. A few weeks later, the police arrested and charged Picton with two counts of first-degree murder for the killings of Serena Abatswe and Mona Wilson. Later, the names of Heather Bottomley, Jacqueline McDonnell, and Diane Rock were added to the charges. One week later, Andrea Josbury became the sixth charge 
with the addition of Heather Chinnick, Tanya Hollick, Sherry Irving, and Inga Hall. The total murder charges reached 15, making Willie Canada's biggest formally charged serial killer. Wow. By this stage, large conveyor belts were being used to shift through tons of soil, going as deep as 30 feet down because they were looking for DNA, and they found some. The DNA analysis was done by over 100 forensic specialists. They had found blood-stained clothes, pieces of human bone, and teeth amongst a pile of animal bones, human toes, heels, and rib bones were found. By November, there were nearly 30 charges against Picton, but investigators were constantly just finding new things. And over the next three years, by October 2005, the tally of the first-degree murder charges had gone up to a staggering 27. According to the Canadian Encyclopedia, the pig farm became the largest crime scene in Canadian history. Investigators took 200,000 DNA samples and seized 600,000 exhibits. Archaeologists and forensic experts needed heavy equipment to sift through 383,000 cubic yards of soil in search of human remains, and the cost of the investigation was estimated at nearly $70 million. Crazy how they end up going from, like, nah, we don't care, like, not investigating, to it being literally the biggest thing ever. Right? Because I think they realize, oh, shit, we've got we a list. Up. We've got a long list of women that are missing, and we are finding a lot of shit here. There wasn't a lot known on, like, the exact details of each murder, but it's believed that Willie would obviously engage in sexual activities with uh, prostitutes or hookers, whatever you want to call them, ladies of the night. And in the middle of this sex activity, he would get upset at them by blaming them for just stupid shit like petty theft or anything stupid. And the prosecution also alleged that he would just get victims back to his pig farm with money and drugs and cocaine uh, because there were traces of cocaine and other drugs found in a lot of the recovered tissue samples. So after sex, he would then strangle or shoot his victims. So there was a revolver that was found with a... (laughs) I can't. There was a revolver found with a dildo on the end of it. What the fuck? Yeah, they said that he was trying... They think that he was trying to make a silencer for the gun. Oh, that's one innovative idea. Hey, I'm just here to report the news. Um, He would then escalate the altercation, handcuff them, and then stab them to death. He would then, this is where it gets just even worse for the world to know. He would then put the bodies through a wood chipper (gasps) and feed them to the pigs. Some of the bits of flesh were mixed in with pork mints. Ew, 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 ew. And sold to friends and family as like pork, like ground pork. Um, So he sold 
this meat to people. Um, I'm already nauseous and this is like really not helping me. No. Uh, Part of his job was also to take pork processing scraps to a plant in Vancouver where they would then be turned into products such as lipstick and soap. (gasps) So that's fucked up as well. The Canadian health authorities had to issue a public warning about the meat that had come from the pig farm. Wow. um, And the meat that had been served at the piggy palace and given to neighbors. Tests showed that it had been contaminated with human flesh. DNA from Inga Hall and Diane Felix were found in several packages of ground pork that were in the freezer on the property. And human tissue was also found in the meat grinder. Holy shit. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I so like I knew the generic summary of what he did, but I never like really thought about that part of it. And I am oh, yeah. terrified now. It's it's horrific. It's probably one of the worst things that I've researched in a really long time. Obviously, he was arrested in February of 2002, and throughout the investigation, we found out that there was 27 charges of murder. But Willie was actually believed to have admitted to an undercover officer that he killed 49 women. Holy shit. Yeah, there was an undercover officer that like was in jail. Willie said to him that... He only got arrested because he was being sloppy when he was going to kill for the big 50. So he had planned on killing more. Uh, Ew. He, yeah, he actually said, and I quote, I was going to do more, make it an even 50. That's why I was sloppy. I wanted one more. Make, dot, 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 make the big five O. So that was a direct quote from Willie Picton. So in the trial that began in January of 2006, Willie pleaded not guilty of all 27 charges, but the sheer volume of DNA evidence that they had gotten through this $70 million investigation made them have to split the trial in two parts. Oh, wow. The first part would deal with just six charges with the remaining 20 to be heard at a later date. As of February 20th, 2007, the following information had been presented to the court. The items police found inside Picton's trailer, which were a loaded 22 revolver with a big spiky black Hindu made dildo over the barrel and one round fired boxes of 35 Magnum handgun ammunition night vision goggles, two pairs of faux fur-lined handcuffs, a syringe with three milliliters or millisomethings of blue liquid inside of it, and Spanish fly aphrodisiac. I do have questions on the last two items. (laughs) I think we all have more than a few questions about the things that were found. (laughs) 
concerned, so concerned. Um, a videotape of Picton's friend Scott Chubb saying Picton had told him a good way to kill a female heroin addict was to inject her with windshield washer fluid, which if <gasps> you don't know is blue. So that makes uh, sense. That answers one a, of my questions. <laughs> there you go. A second tape was played for Picton in which an associate named Andrew Bellwood said Picton mentioned killing prostitutes by handcuffing and strangling them, then bleeding and gutting them before feeding them to pigs. So, uh, gotcha there, bud. And then there were photos of contents in a garage that was in Picton's slaughterhouse, which were the remains of Mona Wilson. And then after 130 witnesses and 10 months of this trial went on, it took the jury of seven men and five women 10 days to reach their verdict. And that's when Picton was convicted of second-degree murder of the six women whose remains were found on his Vancouver farm. So the next Tuesday, Willie Picton was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years, which is the longest sentence possible under Canadian law. Justice James Williams said, quote, Mr. Picton, there's really nothing that I can say to adequately express the revulsion the community feels about these killings. As the verdict was read, two female jurors wiped away tears. And as they were doing that, Willie Picton smirked. Ew. Yeah. So... Apparently, also, while people were, you know, testifying and the families of these women were up there crying and, you know, carrying on because they've lost their loved ones, apparently he just was, like, totally emotionless, just, like, sitting there twiddling his thumbs like nothing ever happened. Okay. Backtracking a little bit. So, obviously, when they were kids, they were forced to work on the farm, whatever, bullied in school, yada, yada, yada. What was his mom doing? Because where does this hatred for women and female sex workers come from? Like, I understand, like, the bullied in school to murderer pipeline, but I feel like it doesn't usually go straight towards women or, like, female sex workers. I feel like usually there's, like, some mommy issues involved that lead to that. So I'm Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, questioning, like, his victimology there. What's the basis behind that? You know, I looked into the psychology of Willie, obviously, and it doesn't say any reason why he would have chosen his victim. Um, I know that he did endure quite a bit of trauma that I was going to touch on later in his childhood. Uh, One of the instances being there was this boy who had been out for a joyride. He was hit by – it was like a 14-year-old little boy. It was his neighbor. And he was out for a joyride, got hit by a truck. His mom went to see the little boy and was like, obviously, Willie thought, you know, my mom's going to save him. My mom's going to help him get him in the truck and put him in an ambulance or something. Instead, his mom rolled the little boy into a ditch and left him there face down in a puddle and he died. So I know that there's like a few different things that – he witnessed as a child that could give him some hatred. I mean, that's just one of them. Um, But there's really no reason 
that I'm seeing that he was so specific about only doing, you know, drug addict sex workers other than, in my opinion, knowing that he was not a very smart man and was a pretty like disgusting man. And this could possibly be the only females that would give him attention. He could offer them drugs. He could offer them alcohol. He could offer them some money and they would go with him. Whereas somebody who wasn't, yeah, or somebody who wasn't in that profession, if he was like, hey, I've got drugs, alcohol, and money, they'd be like, no, I, you are gross and I'm not going anywhere near you. So I think it was just like a an easy thing for him. Out of convenience, he chose mm-hmm. those women, which is really bad and unfortunate. Very. So Willie and his lawyers obviously made multiple appeals to the Supreme Court of Canada, but the sentence was upheld and his appeals were dismissed because, of course, why the hell would anybody appeal this? Uh, Willie drew further disgust with the public when he decided that he was going to write a book titled Picton in his own words and put it up for sale on Amazon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What a joke. What a joke. So obviously the families of the other victims, which one were already upset with the authorities because they didn't charge Willie for the remaining murders. Mm -hmm. Um, And then now they're upset because they're calling this guy the worst serial killer in history and letting him put a book on Amazon. Yeah. I don't understand that. Claiming his innocence for the crimes. So like, we're, we've got a public uproar right now. How are you also going to write a whole book on that? Mm-hmm. So Willie said, he said in the book, he's going to come out and claim that he's merely a victim of a, quote, bungled investigation. Bungled is a new word for me. I just, I'm, that's like a, a statement then. How are you going to write a whole book if you had nothing to do with it? He was merely a victim of a bungled investigation, and he didn't commit these crimes. Which, if you're curious, bungled, because that's a new word for me, just means clumsy. So in 2016, a film was actually released on the life of Willie. It was named Unclaimed or On the Farm. Uh, Apparently, it was called Different Things in Different Markets. So there's that. Uh, It was also in the year 2016 that the autobiography that... Willie did correct or did write. Uh, he <laughs> released it on Amazon, even though everybody was freaking pissed off and tried to fight for it not to be released. Uh, it was released in 2016. I wonder if it's on there now. So I just checked Amazon and it, I don't find Picton in his own words, um, but I did find, you know, there's obviously other books on it, but not. The one that he wrote, I'm seeing, which is great. I'm glad it's not. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But there is more. So, you know how I love to just bring you guys all the pop culture of serial killers and murderers. Um, and there's a, a bunch for Mr. Picton. So, the German psycho Billy band named Mad Sin wrote a song about Picton called Pig Farm. That was released in 2007 on the album called 20 Years in Sinsen. And a 2007 episode of CSI 
titled Leapin' Lizards included a passing reference to the Canadian farmer who fed his murder victims to pigs. So it wasn't about him, but it just referenced him. Uh, there was also a low-budget American horror movie called Killer Picton in 2005. It was released in Australia in 2007 and then taken off the market for legal complaints by the Canadian government. Thank God. Good. Can we, like, not do that, please? Like, I know. Uh, in 2009, the television series Criminal Minds featured an episode set in Sarnia, Ontario, which followed the case where a large number of victims were killed and their bodies were fed to pigs. Uh, most of the other elements of the crime, however, just were really different to the actual real case. Uh, in Canada, the episode aired with an additional content warning stating that this specific episode might upset some viewers due to the storyline being closely tied to actual events. So, I mean, at least they gave it like a bit of a extra trigger warning for the Canadians. There was also the book Swastika by Michael Slade, and he used Picton as the basis for one of his characters, which was a Vancouver serial killer who fed the remains of his victims to pigs. So it seems like everybody's just really taking that piece of information and running with it. Um, I'm sorry, but what was the reasoning behind that title? You know, I didn't want to read the book, and I didn't even want to read the synopsis of the book. So I just, you know, Michael Slade can have his own strange moment there. Uh, Don't recommend. Highly don't recommend. Zero out of ten. Yeah. Uh, There was a Quebec rock band called Exterio who wrote a song entitled... Le, oh god, it's in French. Um, I'm not gonna butcher something in French, but it is translated to the Lord of the Lambs, and the music video was about Robert Picton. That was in 2009. The Canadian television crime drama Da Vinci's Inquest featured an ongoing storyline about a serial killer targeting Vancouver area prostitutes who apparently disposed of bodies at a pig farm. That program ended in 2005, two years before Picton's trial. And then finally, the slam death metal band called Devourment wrote a song about Picton called Fed to the Pigs. So I think I'm speaking for everyone here when I say, unless we're like, filming a documentary, writing a podcast, writing, bringing awareness and, like, information. Can we stop writing fucking songs about terrible people that have done terrible yes. things? I don't understand. Have you ever seen that meme that's like, why are we calling serial killers, like, all these um, crazy names, like the Night Stalker? They should be called, like, I have a small peepee stalker. Like, why can't we just do that? Make fun of these men who decided to be brutal and they need to get made fun of and nobody should idolize them or write songs about them or do whatever books. I don't care. Nobody should write about them. Yeah, that's why like a lot of publications and um, like professionals don't like using like the pseudonyms. It's really just like a media thing. Mm hmm. But in terms of his last known whereabouts, Picton was transferred to a Quebec prison in 2018, and he is alive today. He's 71. 
And he still claims to have killed 49 people. Well, I'm glad that he's alive and serving his time. Yeah, me too. Well, great job. He is a piece of shit. And so is he still to this day like the worst of the worst in Canada? I believe so. Interesting. Yeah, there was a few articles that were basically saying, you know, in America, our infamous serial killers are Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy. They said Willie Picton is... Like their version of that. Okay. Yeah. Is that. Yeah. Definitely all fit the piece of shit stereotype, so it checks out. We should title this episode... Willie P.O.S. Picton. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Um, I do believe I have a two-parter coming, so stay tuned. Ooh. I wanted to structure my case around two different viewpoints, so it's looking like that's what it will be. So some exciting releases coming up. Don't forget to keep following us on Instagram, subscribing, and leaving reviews on Apple and Spotify. And again, we release every Wednesday, so. Yes, and I know the Spotify rating feature just rolled out this year. So if you have not given us a five-star rating on Spotify, head on over there. It's really simple. All you do is go to Crime and Caffeine, and right at the top, there's a little star, and you can tap it and give us all the stars. We'd really appreciate it because it helps and maybe one day our show will be on like the Discover page or like in the charts on Apple Podcasts. I don't know. Something. That would be awesome. Maybe. Maybe one day. That would be super cool. Um, But until then, guys, thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you on the next one. Bye.